The Buckeyes were winning in 1916 and 1917 under the leadership of coach John Wills. Ohio State claimed its first ever Big Ten championships back to back. The program had come a long way and faced strong headwinds. Poor play had left the athletic department with empty pockets in the early days of the program as then-coach David Farragut Edwards bumbled to a 1-7-1 record in 1897, a record that to this day stands as the worst in OSU history. Fortune turned when Ohio State hired John Ekstrom as head coach. Ekstrom immediately lit a fire in the program and jolted the team to its first ever undefeated season in 1899. But even Ekstrom's term, as outstanding as it was, would be defined by tragedy. Center John Segrist died from a head injury sustained playing a game in 1901. While the team chose to play on at the urging of John's brother and fellow player Charles, Coach Ekstrom would move on, choosing not to coach another season after the hardship of 1901. Over the years, Ohio State would experience ups and downs, but eventually settle in as a good but not great team in a second-tier conference. The Buckeyes spent their days in the Ohio Athletic Conference for 11 seasons from 1902 to 1912. In those Ohio Athletic Conference years, Ohio State would regularly play the best teams in Ohio, usually beating them and claim two conference championships. Not bad. But it's impossible to build a consistent program when the head coach is always changing. That was among the central challenges facing Ohio State. In the Buckeyes' 11 seasons in the Ohio Athletic Conference, they cycled through six coaches. John Richards was hired in 1912 to guide the program in its transition from the Ohio Athletic Conference to the Western Conference. Richards quit the job after a single season. Enter coach John Wills. Wills came aboard with a tall order at hand. Take an OSU program that was good in what amounted to the MAC conference of its day and turn it into a program that could compete with the best in the Midwest in the Western Conference. Wills rose to the occasion. He preached a concept he developed called intestinal fortitude, digging deep even when it seemed all was going against you and finding the means to achieve victory. His Buckeyes did just that, winning, 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 and more. In Wilson's fourth and fifth season as head coach in 1916 and 1917, the Buckeyes had claimed the crown of the Western Conference, now known as the Big Ten. The team, the program, had arrived, and it had its first true All-American star in the quiet, humble halfback Chick Harley. A Columbus native who dazzled at East High School, Harley shifted gears like a Ferrari. His athleticism running, throwing, and even kicking the ball proved to be an all-purpose, all-everything back, driving defensive coordinators mad and swelling the grandstands at Ohio Field with adoring fans. The only thing that could stop Ohio State from claiming its third Big Ten championship was something far bigger than football, World War I. The 1918 season was largely wiped out as America's sons and daughters contributed to the war effort. The Buckeyes still fielded the team, but it was without their stars. OSU would wobble to a 3-3 record and mark the end of the season with a 14-0 loss against an opponent who had just rejoined the conference, an opponent that Ohio State had never beat before, Michigan. Now, the calendar turned to 1919. The war was over. America's sons and daughters had returned to normal life. 
for OSU, the 1919 team would be star Chick Harley's senior season. In his previous two years of eligibility, the Buckeyes had two conference championships. Harley and Wills had their eyes on a third, but to claim it, they would need to navigate a tricky schedule, and they would need to do something no team had ever done before. Beat Michigan. There was good reason Ohio State had never beat Michigan. The man walking the sidelines for the Wolverines was maybe the greatest to ever coach the game, Fielding Yost, and Fielding Yost didn't like the Buckeyes. Michigan was an early power of college football. Where Ohio State's program struggled to get off the ground and cycled through coaches, Michigan benefited from coaching stability and simply ground up their opponents. The Wolverines started playing football 11 years earlier than the Buckeyes in 1879. By the time Ohio State's program got up and running in 1890, Michigan was already at another level. Winning records were the norm for the Wolverines. As Ohio State struggled through its worst ever football season in 1897, Michigan posted a 6-1-1 mark. The following year, the Wolverines went 10-0, claiming their first ever Western Conference Championship in only the conference's third season of play. Then the Michigan program went from good to elite, with the hire of Fielding Yost to lead the team in 1901. It wasn't the first time Yost and the Buckeyes crossed paths. Years earlier, Yost came to Columbus to interview for OSU's head coaching vacancy. Yost ended up tackling a member of the hiring search committee in an overzealous demonstration of football techniques. He walked away from OSU's campus without the job and went on to crisscross the country in coaching stints before finally being hired by the Wolverines. With Yost at Ann Arbor, the Wolverines annihilated the competition. Under Yost's prolific point-a-minute teams during his first four years as head coach, Michigan would not lose a game, posting 43 wins, zero losses, and only a single tie. The lopsidedness extended beyond Michigan's foes in the Big Ten. When Michigan met Stanford in the first-ever Rose Bowl in 1902, the Wolverines laid on a 49-0 beatdown. The result of the game was so disappointing to Rose Bowl officials that they decided to not play football for the next 13 years. For the next 13 years, 13 years, chariot races, ostrich races, you can find those on New Year's Day in Pasadena, but football, football was not on the menu because they didn't want to see what Michigan had done to Stanford happen again. So it was, Michigan was so good that they actually broke the Rose Bowl. And that wasn't the only things that the Wolverines would break. They would perpetually beat up on the Buckeyes. Leading into the 1919 season, Ohio State and Michigan had played 15 times. Michigan won 13 of those contests, tying only two. In 10 of those losses, the Buckeyes didn't score a single point. But due to conference realignment and World War I, Ohio State and Michigan hadn't played at full strength since 1912. And Buckeyes coach John Wills had never played the Wolverines at full strength. 1919 would be a new chapter, but OSU couldn't look too far ahead. The Michigan game would come in the middle of the schedule, and before the Buckeyes got there, they would need to take care of business. As Ohio State eyed another championship, many were eyeing the future. The Lantern, Ohio State student newspaper, reported in the summer before the 1919 campaign that planning for a new stadium was underway. 
Plans are now in progress for the erection of the long-anticipated stadium. The stadium is to be constructed in the shape of an elliptical horseshoe built around an oval track with seating at the capacity of 50,000 persons. The successful advent of mass athletics has made a large athletic field necessary in keeping with the progress of the times. If Ohio State is to be successful in the coming football season, the demand for the stadium will be so great that it cannot be ignored. Just as the Buckeyes do so often year in and year out today, in 1919, with senior Chick Harley and company back from World War I, the Buckeyes reloaded. Chick was joined in the backfield by Pete Stinchcomb, a dynamic runner in his own right who moved to quarterback. Lining up at end were Jim Flowers, Bill Slyker, and Truck Myers. The line was strong too. Fritz Holtkamp returned at center for his senior campaign, Dean Trott, Lloyd Pixley were at guard, Eilis Hoffman and Bob Spires started at tackle. As practice started in the fall, the lantern forecasted bright days ahead. Prospects for the most successful football season in history of the university are extremely bright at present, and with the cooperation of the student body, Coach Wilson and his assistants should be able to whip together another Buckeye team equally as powerful as that produced in 1916 and 1917. Harley took the field for his final season on October 4th against Ohio Wesleyan in front of a record opening day crowd of 7,200 at Ohio Field. What did Chick Harley's senior season hold in store? Well, on his first carry of the day, he took it to the house. Ohio State would never look back, winning 38 to nothing. Wilson's team rolled on. They dispatched Cincinnati 46 to nothing. They handled Kentucky 49 to nothing. Now the dust had settled on the first three contests. Ohio State had outscored its opposition 133 to nothing. Wilson and Harley had turned their attention to the gathering storm up north. The undefeated Buckeyes headed to Ann Arbor to take on the undefeated Wolverines. What happened next would reverberate to this day. Coach Wills drilled the team through a long, secret practice sessions in the days leading up to the game. The players worked until long past sundown as darkness swept through Columbus. The easy wins in the first three games left Wills with a full bag of tricks heading into Ann Arbor. In addition to being undefeated, Michigan also entered the game unscored upon. Something was bound to break. The lantern summed up the stakes. If the Scarlet and Gray can triumph over Michigan, the ambition of every man on the team will be realized. Championship talk can come later, for the task before the Wilsman is to maul Michigan. The largest ever pregame send-off rally took place the Thursday before the game. 2,000 roaring fans met the Buckeyes with soaring songs and speeches. The night was a celebration, and it came to its crescendo when Chick Harley and Coach Wils rose to speak. The senior all-everything halfback Harley had never played the Wolverines, but understood the magnitude of the moment. Harley said, All of us see what it means to Ohio State if we win. We can only do one thing, and that is, do our best. Wils, echoing Harley's modesty, warned the fans not to be overconfident, that the time for talk would come only after achieving their goal. Michigan and Yost were a high-flying, explosive team. With an OSU team made up of many veterans from World War I, Wills said that the team's slogan, that the team's rallying cry for the weak, would echo the famous call of the Battle of Verdun, they shall not pass.
It was game day. The teams weren't the only ones headed to Ann Arbor. A 50-piece band made the road trip. Wearing khakis, they led a contingent of Road Warrior OSU fans who came on a special train from Columbus. OSU fans wore paper hats as a show of solidarity with the team. In Columbus, fans gathered in Ohio Union to watch an electronic scoreboard. It was kind of like watching a game cast of coverage today on your phone. Arrangements had been made that the play-by-play -play would be phoned in from an attendee in Ann Arbor and displayed on the bright lights of the glowing scoreboard above. And things were about to get started in Ann Arbor. A sellout crowd of 25,000 packed Ferry Field. Michigan's band fired up the crowd. OSU's band played Carmen, Ohio. Wilfs and Harley looked across the sideline. To achieve victory, they'd have to take down Field and Yost, a man once turned down for the OSU job and who now had multiple national championships to his name. No Ohio State team had ever beat the Wolverines. No Ohio State team before had Chick Harley. This was Harley's only shot at the Wolverines. He would make them pay. In all the games Ohio State had played, in the blink of history that brought the team from 1890 to 1919, in the growth of the sport in Columbus and around the country, in all the moments, the plays, the cheers, the wins, the losses, this was the moment where the switch finally flipped and the annual drubbing of Ohio State by Michigan ended forever. The game stood at 7-3 at the half after OSU blocked a Michigan punt and scored. It isn't recorded what Will said at the half. It isn't recorded what Chick Harley thought as he looked out on the full stands in Ann Arbor, knowing Ohio State had never walked away with a victory. When Harley went back out in the second half, he did indeed have another trick up his sleeve. Dashing around the end, he shook two Michigan defenders and stiff-armed another. 42 yards later, 42 yards frozen in history. Later, he stopped at the end zone. The Buckeyes took a 13-3 lead. The Wolverines offense turned to passing the ball to try and get things kick-started, but they completed zero of their 18 passes in the second half. Zero. Harley playing both sides of the ball broke up four passes alone. The Wolverines would not score. Ohio State had done it. Ohio State had taken down Michigan. In defeat, Michigan coach Fielding Yost asked if he could address the victorious Buckeye team. Coach Wills agreed. Yost, one of the best coaches of his era, stood before the Buckeyes and said, You deserve your victory. You fought brilliantly. You boys gave a grand exhibition of football strategy. And while I am sorry, dreadfully sorry that we lost, I want to congratulate you. He then turned to Harley and said, and you, Mr. Harley, I believe you are one of the finest little machines I have ever seen. In the weeks to follow, Ohio State roared by Purdue and was a field goal better than Wisconsin. The Buckeyes stood undefeated at 6-0. Now standing in their way was Illinois. A win against Illinois and the Buckeyes would be Big Ten champs. A loss and Illinois would claim the title. The Illini had only a single blemish on their schedule. A 10-14 defeat to Wisconsin. It was a home game for OSU, the last game of Chick Harley's career played before the adoring masses of a sold-out Ohio field. Illinois jumped to a 6-0 lead and looked the better side in the first half. Then, Harley in the third quarter completed a long pass to the Illinois two-yard line. On the next play, he finished the job, dashing into the end zone and booted the extra point. 
the Buckeyes held a 7-6 lead. The earth seemed to shake under the roar of the crowd at Ohio Field. But Illinois would not go away. Their offense stayed in motion. In the dying moments of the fourth quarter, they connected on two long pass plays, landing at the Ohio State 20-yard line. There were only eight seconds left. Illinois coach Zupke would not risk a sack. He would attempt the field goal for the win. So it was. All of Ohio Field inhaled. Chick Harley and Coach Wills among them. It was only three seasons earlier in 1916, in Chick's first season on the varsity, that he had booted the game-winning kick against Illinois to catapult the Buckeyes into national headlines in their first ever Western Conference Championship. Now, Illinois' kicker lined up, keen on revenge. The ball was snapped. The kick was up. It went sailing through the cold, late November Ohio air and split the goalposts. Illinois took a 9-7 lead with five seconds left. The Buckeyes had a chance for one more play. Harley got the snap, fighting back tears. He hurled the ball through the air. The All-American throwing one last desperate pass. It fell. Incomplete. The game was over. Illinois had won. Illinois were Big Ten champs. Perhaps in all the games that have ever been played, this one was the biggest punch in the gut in Ohio State football history. Harley couldn't hold back the tears as he walked off the field. His last game was his first ever loss. It was almost too cruel. The lantern recalled the scene. Tears streamed down the cheeks of the almost indomitable chick as he left Ohio field for the last time as a varsity football man. Hundreds of women and men, young and old, pressed forward to offer regrets to the illustrious halfback that the privilege he so desired was denied him. Ohio State loves Harley in victory or defeat. Many affecting scenes took place in the dressing room after the game, while the members of the squad changed their civilian clothes, several for the last time. Dr. John W. Wills, the man who, who together with Chick brought to Ohio State its first championship, spoke to the members of the team, telling them of his faith in them and his pride in them even though defeated. The Ohio State 11 fought its hardest, and defeat by a team of the caliber of the Illinois 11 is not a disgrace, but something of which the team and its famous captain and coach can well be proud. But in loss, something bigger had happened. OSU sold 20,000 tickets to the Illinois game, and athletic director Lynn St. John thought he could have sold 60,000. In the wake of the loss, the OSU Board of Trustees approved a new proposed football stadium. Somewhere in Columbus, Far away from the football field, Chick Harley now walked. He was still in his head about the loss. He felt he'd let down his team. In victory, he would give his teammates all the credit, but in loss, he would take the blame personally. That was his character. But maybe he did not know. Maybe no one knew yet that the one thing Chick brought to Ohio State was victory. Victory in the team's first ever Big Ten Conference Championships. Victory for the first time against Michigan. Victories that sparked a frenzy for football in Columbus and tilled the earth to build Ohio Stadium.
Hey there, thanks for listening to I Want to Go Back, a podcast about the people, places, and events that shaped Ohio State football. I'm your host, Jim Baird. This podcast is part of Land Grant Holy Land's network of Buckeye podcasts. If you did like what you listened to, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends. Music for this season was provided by Fields Ohio, Fool's Fire, and Nick Jados. Thanks to you for really helping bring the, the history of the game to life with your music. A podcast like this builds on great research already out there. If you want to read more, I'd encourage you to check out a couple of things, including the official Ohio State Football Encyclopedia by the legendary Jack Park, and check the extraordinary rise of Ohio State football in the tragic schoolboy athlete who made it happen by Bob Hunter. Both of those books were invaluable resources as I put this series together. Thanks, and go Bucks.